Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Circular EcoBIM podcast series. My name is Verena Gösswein, and it's my great pleasure to moderate this podcast. The podcast series is part of the Circular EcoBIM project. The project is developing a platform that makes use of building information modeling to improve the circularity of new and existing buildings, considering their lifecycle impacts. The project is funded by EEA grants and developed by different entities from Portugal and Norway. As our objective is ultimately to improve the sustainability of our built environment, we are making use of this opportunity to connect with different experts that are working towards that same goal. In total, we produce four podcasts where we discuss different topics of the circular economy, buildings and the construction industry. In each episode, we have one guest from the Circular EcoBurn Project Consortium and one external guest. Today's topic is design for circular construction. We will discuss how to integrate circularity in the design process, what are materials and structures that can enable reuse and disassembly, and which practices hinder or enable circular buildings. I have with me today Joanna Fernandes and Danielle Densley-Tingley. Joanna is a member of the Project Consortium, an experienced architect and a PhD candidate researching circularity of existing buildings. Danielle is our external guest today. She's an expert in circular economy, design for deconstruction and embodied carbon, and she's a senior lecturer in architectural engineering at Sheffield University. But before I let my guests introduce themselves, just a couple of words about myself. I'm the technical project manager of the Circular EcoBIM project in my role as a senior consultant at Three Drivers, a sustainability consultancy in Lisbon. Moreover, I am a postdoctoral research associate at the Chair of Sustainable Construction at ETH Zurich. My background is in civil engineering, but I'm mostly interested in interdisciplinary approaches of climate change mitigation. So welcome, uh, thanks for being here. Would you maybe like to introduce yourself? Hello, it is a pleasure to be part of this podcast. My name is Joana Fernandes. I'm an architect by training. I have worked some years in buildings refurbishment where I applied circular design in many of my projects. I'm currently doing my PhD in Sustainable Energy Systems at the Instituto Superior Técnico in Lisbon. My main focus is the research of theoretical frameworks and methods that may contribute to promote circular design in buildings refurbishment. The circular design principles include flexibility in design, reducing, reusing, recycling and integrating construction and demolition waste in the buildings at end of life while reducing global warming impact. I have also the privilege to be part of the Circular Eco Beam project, where I am developing the methodology for a beam-based plugin to analyze the circularity potential of new construction and renovation projects. Great, Joanna, thank you. Danielle, could I maybe also ask you to say a couple of words about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, so it's great to be here to discuss such an impo important topic. Um, so I'm Danny Densley-Tingley. I'm a senior lecturer in Department of Civil and Structural Engineering at the University of Sheffield. And I run a research group that focuses on different methods to reduce the whole life carbon of the built environment. And the circular economy is obviously a really important and key way of doing that. 
my PhD was actually in design for deconstruction and the embodied benefits of, of doing that. So it's something I've been working on for over a decade now. As a group, we developed a tool called Regenerate, which looks at trying to measure how circular your building is. And that's really a design engagement tool to get people thinking about some of the core principles. So I look forward to discussing more about that tool and our work in the podcast. Sounds great. Maybe just as a way of introducing the topic to everybody listening. So construction materials, as we know, account for half of all raw materials used in Europe. So it's a massive amount of material that goes into the construction industry and into buildings. And waste originating from construction and demolition represents one third of total waste in Europe. So this kind of highlights the potential that buildings have to move from a linear to a circular economy and is also the reason why we talk about all of this today. There are different approaches when it comes to building sustainable buildings and there is certainly a spotlight on improving the energy efficiency and extending the building lifetime, mainly through refurbishment. Today we want to focus on design for circular construction. And this can be done, for example, through resource efficient construction, designed for disassembly and designed for adaptability. But achieving a circular building should start with the selection and application of the right materials, of materials that can enable a circular building. And these can be made, for example, from renewable resources or uh, can be materials that are made with recycled content. So that would bring me to my first question today, which is how do you choose materials when trying to design a circular building? And maybe as a basis for that, how do you characterize a material as circular? When designing a circular building, I would try to use circular design principles. So first by optimizing material use, following waste hierarchy and designing for product reuse keeping in mind future adaptability scenarios and the end of life state by choosing products and materials that could be easily disassembled in the future. Then I would try to use secondary materials with reclaimed components and also recycled and bio-based materials. How to characterize a material as circular? Well, in opposition to the take-use-dispose model, which is the linear economy model, a material is fully circular when it contains no virgin material and no part of it will be considered unrecoverable waste at its end of life. So this means that the loop is closed and the product will continue in the value chain. Yeah, I think the really important thing to highlight there is that With clever design, any material can be circular. It's about ensuring that it can be reused end of life. And that's largely about how you're designing with materials or products or buildings. So it's maybe not so much about how can a material be characterized as circular, but more about how can the right material contribute to the circular building, keeping in mind this circular model of enabling reuse and recycling, but at the same time also using components that are maybe already consisting of recycled or reused materials, right? Uh, it's always a bit of a struggle between uh, keeping in mind what might happen in the future and how can we enable uh, circularity in the future and how can we already contribute at this moment in time. But maybe could you talk a bit more about criteria that you consider in your design development or in your design process that you try to consider to enable a circular construction or to enable a circular building? I mean, I'll just start and Jana, do you want to jump in? Um, so... For me, one of the key things is how do you reduce new resource consumption now? So that's obviously about trying to reuse as much as possible, whether that's a whole building, whole structure or individual components and materials. If you can't reuse 
looking at materials where you can recycle. So that's kind of your initial thing. And then with whatever you're designing, you then want to try and facilitate that future reuse, designing for deconstruction, designing in layers, so you can then liberate materials in the future. And for me, often that really means material passports become critical because we need to understand what we're dealing with in the future. Half the challenges about designing with reused materials now are because we don't know what material properties we're designing to. Um, so you're having to do testing and things. Whereas if we have material passports that are set up to hold key information like the strength of the material, the composition of the material, depending on what we're dealing with, your design intent. So, you know, have you designed it in a way that it can be deconstructed? Are the connections particularly unusual? I mean, ideally you'd avoid that, but if they are, make sure that information is stored so that someone in the future can go ahead and deconstruct that as you'd intend it. So this idea that all buildings have this kind of passport, this information that tells you what's in them, how you're going to get it out at end of life, I think is so critical. And for me, if that isn't there in a building, I then would start to question, well, how are you actually facilitating that future circularity? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the, the first step is to rethink all design process from early stages and keep as much as possible from the existing building and if it's not an existing building if it is a new building to design for end of life to think about the connections uh, the materials we can also start by designing with reused materials like picking materials from material banks and integrate them in the new designs and also, it is very important to design for flexibility to adapt uh, the building for future uses. And Jonah, I know that you have a lot of experience as an architect. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about the willingness of your clients to have materials in their buildings that are entering the secondary life cycle or that are reused? Is that something that they appreciate? Or do you still have the feeling that most clients think, I would rather have something brand new, right? Because that's what I'm paying for and that's nicer or better or whatever than a reused material. Well, I think we definitely have a long way to go to, to raise the awareness on circular construction because I think it's not only the clients, but also the contractors, because the clients, uh, most of them, they want the lowest cost. So they want the cheapest products and uh, the shinier, the better is how we say. So <laughs> mm -hmm. sometimes they don't want to reuse the materials because they think they don't look good or they are old or they will have to be replaced in a short term. But on the other hand, we also have the issue with the contractors because to execute the construction, they need to have materials that have assurance when they give the warranty of the construction works, they know what to expect from the materials and that doesn't happen with the reused materials because at least in Portugal, we don't have the regulation to assure that reused material is, I will say, good enough to integrate the, the new design and the new building. And there is also another issue that is the construction workers, because sometimes we design for uh, circular 
economy with all the connections accessible and it is very difficult to get the work done like that so i guess it's really need to raise the awareness in circular construction and maybe also a bit the willingness for flexibility right not only of the structure but also <laughs> of, the, of the client yeah 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 but can can you maybe try to be a bit more concrete talking about structures what makes a good circular structure and maybe give an example of your previous work or Danielle, I know you've worked on multiple projects, analyzing different types of structures and buildings and so on. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, from my side, I mean, a, a good structure in terms of circular economy is a reversible one. And that as a starting point rules off a couple of materials. So in situ concrete frames, you just basically can't deconstruct and reuse in the future. Precast, there's some really nice systems coming through with quite clever jointing between the, the units that's reversible. So that's really exciting to see because before concrete generally was really difficult to design for circularity. So it's great to see precast coming through. Steel frames are normally a pretty nice example because you can have bolted connections rather than welded connections. The challenge with your steel frame is your floor slab and what floor slab you use. Um, precast concrete, again, can work quite well. CLTs across laminated timber can be another nice option. The most common, certainly in the UK, floor slab tends to be a composite deck floor slab, which is a composite material made up of concrete and steel. And the challenge with that is there has been quite a lot of work looking at how to make this circular and how to make this reversible across a couple of different projects. But the challenge with that is you have what are called shear studs that are kind of every half a metre through your beam. And they've typically been welded, so they've been really difficult to deconstruct. There's been a few projects now, and there's actually um, guidelines now in the UK for bolted connections for shear studs. So that's an exciting way that you could then take the beams apart. The challenge is how you then reuse that composite floor slab. Again, there's been a bit of work starting to look at whether you can cut that up into pieces to reuse in the future. But then there's questions around, well, the edges of the concrete where you're cutting through, is that going to be reusable? So I do still think there's quite a lot of work in that space for how you have genuinely reusable floor systems with a steel frame. And timber can be a great example that you can design for deconstruction as well, because you can use lots of bolted connections that are reversible. So I think... We've actually got some really nice options. The challenge, as Joanna was already alluding to, is getting people to then design with them and build them that way. Um, but there's certainly the, the solution suite out there. In your experience, because we spoke about clients, let's maybe talk about the other side. Let's talk about designers and architects. Is that a trend, would you say, that more people are interested in designing a building that can potentially be deconstructed in the future? Is that something happening there? It's something we're seeing a bit more. I mean, Certainly not at the scale I'd like, but with my PhD in this space over 10 years ago and no one was talking about it. Whereas now they are. There are some examples that are coming through. I think they're still very early stage and it's a couple of key designers really that are trying to push this forward. But there's also a couple of clients that are asking for it. So there's a local authority in London that's saying, well, how do we make a circular development? And they, they've had this big call out to the design community. So I think that's been really exciting. And then the other thing that I think is helping in the UK is in London. They have the need for a circular economy statement on big projects now. And whilst that doesn't have to mean you've designed for deconstruction and reuse, I think it is encouraging people to think that way. And that's starting to push this forward. And there's certainly a lot more discussion. We've got standards for reversible connectors on a, a composite deck, which we just never had before. So I think that's helping upskill the profession as well and give them the confidence or if they design to that standard they're meeting kind of regulations and, and that gives them the confidence to then go ahead and do that a bit more, which I think is good. 
Yeah, also in Portugal, I guess now it is trendy among designers to keep as much as possible from the existing buildings. Some years ago, when buildings refurbishment boom, it was current practice to demolish, especially the interior, keep the facade in many cases. Although there are no standardized or implemented methods to circular design, I guess the conscience among designers of keeping, reusing and recycling is definitely rising. Also, we can see that some uh, local authorities, some city halls, they are planning to introduce BIM at project delivery and project permits. And I guess this will be a great advance because uh, we can articulate this with uh, policy and incentives to circular design. Yeah, I think from what I hear from conversations with, let's say, engineers and architects, one of the issues is also that even if you manage to take, for example, uh, the connections of a beam apart, then you need someone that goes there and tests the material to understand its load-bearing capacity and so on, and in the end certifies that and provides some kind of guarantee to the building owner or developer that this is a material or part of a structure that can serve its purpose over many decades to come, as would be done by a let's say typical uh, type of structure that, that you buy from the factory. So I think it's really about, on the one hand, creating awareness and also the tools and standards, but then also ensuring that this is enabled by all stakeholders and by the different parts of the process that go along the value chain of a reused or recycled material. But maybe talking a bit about what circularity means, could you tell us a bit about how do you assess circularity? I mean, one key reference is certainly the methodology by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, right? Talking about material circularity indicators. Is that something that you also incorporate in your own work, in your own projects, or do you use a different approach? So, I mean, we've just been writing a guide for the Institute of Structural Engineers in the UK. And in that, we've got a whole series of metrics that we talk about, which is exactly this question, you know, how, how do we measure it? And we don't have really consensus across in the UK, certainly on, on how we should be measuring it. The Ellen MacArthur methodology is, is one way of doing it. There's been a lot of debate here whether it should be material mass flow or whether you try and bring carbon into it. And actually bringing carbon into it for some people is good because it shows if you reuse now you have a lower carbon structure and that can be a really good way to encourage people to reuse that, that weren't thinking of doing it before. It gets much more complicated to bring carbon into it when you're then designing for deconstruction and future reuse or designing for adaptability because there's not an obvious way to quantify the carbon in those cases and that, that does become really difficult and there's a fair amount of debate in the UK about that at the moment. That's actually one of the reasons why we developed our circular economy engagement tool Regenerate because what we wanted to do was give people a way of at least saying, okay, across multiple criteria, so across design for deconstruction, design for adaptability, circular material selection, and resource efficiency, which is how we've kind of categorized the circular economy in the tool. We wanted to be able to let people look at all of those together and then come out with some kind of overall score at the end. So how we do that is really simple, just essentially a series of criteria you need to meet across each of those categories. And if you were fully circular for this tool, you'd be hitting all those criteria across all those categories. Now, let's be honest, no projects do, but that's because we're at the early stage of that journey, really. And we largely did that to try and simplify things, because whilst you could quantify mass and say, well, I've got this much reused material coming in and this much reusable material going out of my building at end of life, that doesn't take into account the complexity of things like design for adaptability and how much that might extend a building's life by. 
So I don't think it's a simple thing to do, but I think it's a really interesting thing to, to try and look into. Well, uh, I would like to add that in European Union, we have uh, the Levels Framework, which is a framework to assess sustainability of buildings, which also takes in account the circular economy criteria, uh, namely the design for deconstruction, the adaptability, and maybe this can be a good method, a standardized method to assess circularity. Also within the Circular EcoBeam project, it's important to mention this, we are uh, developing some circularity assessment uh, criteria based on a literature review regarding uh, building circularity indicators, starting from the materials and going to products, uh, systems and the building circularity indicator. This will be integrated with building information modeling so that uh, circularity can be assessed by designers and in uh, the different stages of the building life cycle. That's talking about different criteria and let's say legal frameworks that exist or are being developed currently. Really at the stage that's let's say a normal architect that's designing a residential building can use these tools and recommendations and integrate in their everyday work. Or should they more pursue a let's say qualitative approach, trying to use uh, recycled material but without having to go into the quantitative detail about what's the embodied carbon and the transportation distance to source this material and so on and so forth. I guess the first step is to start by uh, reusing materials and uh, looking for reclaimed uh, components and also bio-based materials. But the second step is that uh, in Portugal there are still not many architectural offices that use BIM as a current practice and uh, it's difficult to manage the huge amount of information needed like the bill of quantities of the project and all the design information and even from the building itself to manage this without using BIM or other kind of technologies. So I guess it's important that uh, BIM becomes a current practice in building design. And uh, afterwards, I guess that if there is an automated way to measure circularity, it will be implemented, yes. Yeah, so you would say that the lack of digitized model or let's say of BIM models also then hinders the uptake of a more circular design process. Yes, at least it's assessment because, as Danielle mentioned, now we don't have standardized practices to measure circularity. And uh, circularity is based on materials and it's difficult if you don't have some kind of digital tool to manage all this information to, to measure circularity. Do you think that the trend also towards using building certification schemes such as LEED or BREAM or DGNB, I mean, there's so many, but they, they quantify life cycle impacts and so on and so forth. And I think some of them also incorporate the types of material used and the embodied carbon. Do you think that this might be a way to encourage building owners and developers to pay more attention to what material they are using? I mean, I think from my side, there are a couple of credits in Brian that start to do this. I think the issue is a couple of lots. So it becomes almost just one extra thing for the design team to think about. Whereas what you want to do, and sometimes by the time they've got to looking at the Brian credits and what they're getting or not getting on a project, it's almost too late to have embedded some of this stuff. So for me, it's almost how do we 
get design teams at a really early design stage to be excited about this. Because if you're going to design for deconstruction, that needs to be considered right at the start because it influences so many choices you make um, in terms of what materials you're using, etc. So it's almost how do we transform the profession for me? Brian might help us a bit, but that's only going to be on certain things. So like if Brian said you need a material passport, that might actually help us get material passports a bit more mainstreamed. Absolutely. But I think there's stuff that needs to happen before that as well to really transform the sector. And in your opinion, do you think having a material passport is something that we need for all buildings, meaning also for the existing buildings? That would be the dream. It's a, it's a big undertaking, but I think that just gives you your stock of material that is then going to become available for reuse in the future. Um, and it helps people understand, well, if you know X many million steel beams that are going to come out of construction in the next however many years, it starts to give you a feel for, oh, well, we need to be aware that we can stand with more steel or there's many bricks or timber beams or whatever it is. I think it helps the sector be ready. And I think it helps, you know, demolition contractors develop up the right skills to actually deconstruct those buildings and make sure we can liberate those materials better. So, yes, I'd absolutely love it if we could do that. And we've got a project trying to do that a little bit, but certainly not as accurately as, as you'd want it for the whole building stock. Joanna, do you want to add to this? Because I know that part of your work focuses on refurbishment and renovation of existing buildings. Yeah, uh, I guess material passport is uh, very important because if you have a material passport, you can know what's inside the building. And that's the first step to keep as much as you can from the existing building and to adapt the design to the building. So I guess material passports are really important tools for existing buildings uh, refurbishment because uh, with material passports, you know what's inside the building, what's its construction uh, system and its materials. And uh, it is really important because with that, you can adapt the design of the future use of the building uh, to the existing conditions. And that's the first step to avoid waste. So we touched upon construction and refurbishment, but I think mostly from the perspective of demolition waste, so material going out of the building. I think another important point, and Danielle mentioned it before when she spoke about prefabricated elements, is construction waste, so waste that is occurring on the construction site. Could you maybe talk a bit about how prefabrication or modular systems could help to reduce the construction waste? Yeah, um, so from my side, I think potentially pre prefabrication helps because you're building, building materials in a controlled factory environment. So you should be in a position for that to be more precise. You don't have things like the weather, um, either damaging materials or getting in the way, which in the UK is a big issue, particularly if you're building with more kind of bio-based construction materials, which you don't really want to get wet. There's a big advantage to doing that inside in controlled factory conditions. It makes it much easier if you've got waste to then recycle it because it's all in the same place where you want to use that material again. So I think there are opportunities The only caution I guess I'd have with modular prefabrication is balancing circularity with material efficiency, because we don't want to be designing so standardized that we're over designing and using more material than we need to. And I say that predominantly from a kind of climate emergency perspective, the embodied carbon of these materials is significant. So it's this really careful balancing act, I think, between ensuring we reduce waste and design for future circularity, but also that we do minimize our, our use of new materials. Yeah, that's a very good point. That maybe should also be reflected in building standards now, in design standards, that yeah. to then help guide engineers and architects. Absolutely, yeah. 
Could we also maybe talk a bit about adaptability of a space plan or let's say design for adaptability? So what do we do if we have a building, for example, an office building that's built today and that's made for a company such as Google and they want an open space plan, um, big office space. And then in 20 years from now, a totally different type of company moves in and they want, again, small box offices, uh, maybe less meeting rooms. So how do we ensure that we then don't need to take the building apart, let's say, and reset that again. Yes, Stu, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, space adaptability is very important when talking about circularity because it will allow future different uses of the building with minimum intervention. I guess it is necessary at design stage to anticipate different space configurations and assess and optimize adaptability and over design. For example, it might be less expensive long, long term to over design the space for infrastructures. If you foresee some small offices, as you mentioned in the future, then uh, some years later, demolish all the walls and introduce uh, more infrastructure. So I guess it is a balance the designer has to reach between uh, over design, uh, space flexibility, and also, of course, the costs and the environmental impact. Um, I guess this is definitely in line with circularity principles, as the, the first step is to rethink and refuse waste. So if, if we can anticipate these future uses, we will definitely be saving some waste in the future. In your opinion, are there any promising approaches that are emerging now that might help overcome the challenge of creating awareness, creating also appreciation for circular buildings that help to promote digital models such as BIM models of building? So basically anything that you're observing in terms of development that can contribute to more circular buildings in the future? I mean, I think I'm probably seeing in the UK, a lot more guidance documents coming through from the professional institutions and, you know, the UK Green Building Council, which I think is helpful because some of them are kind of, here's what you need to know for clients about the circular economy. More case studies, the so way you've got great circular buildings, seeing those written up, seeing how people use those spaces and things, I think is really important. And as we've had a lot more circular buildings over the last decade, I think we're then seeing how those buildings stand the test of time a bit more as well. And that's really useful because you can see, you know, where you've put that design for adaptability intent is, you know, how often is it being used? How is it being used? How does that influence then what we do in the future? So I think all those are sort of little stepping stones. I don't think there's one massive thing from my side that's, that's transforming things yet. How do you perceive, I think this is currently mostly a, a research topic, but let's say, yeah, the use of automatic image processing that then can be transformed into a BIM model that then can help assign material properties or structural properties that then could enable uh, design for deconstruction. Is that something that you see actually happening in real construction practice in the near future? I mean, we're certainly doing it on research projects, as you say, to try and look at material stock and develop that kind of historic building passport idea. I'd love to see it in practice. I don't think it's going to happen for a while, 
but that might be, you know, five years, we might be there. I think for me, particularly important is if you could speed up that kind of inventory of materials in an existing building, that would be really helpful. So, you know, if it's implementing those sorts of strategies there so that you can very quickly do that, because at the moment, that's a very manual process of someone going in and literally inventorying what's in the building. So speeding that up in any way, I think would be really useful because I think that would encourage a lot of people to actually start to make use of what's in the building if that was much faster. Yeah, maybe the use of artificial intelligence in the future for material recognition as a generalized practice would be very helpful to detect materials in the existing buildings. Yeah. I think it's an interesting research direction. I'm also a bit critical to see how this could be implemented, at least in the near or mid-term into architectural practices and building development. But of course, we need a trajectory and we need to move forward. And maybe in the long term, this is something that could help us to be even more circular. I think this was a really interesting conversation. I would like to close the discussion with a bit, let's say, out of the box question, which is, is there anything that you recently read or saw or heard related to circular buildings or sustainability in a wider sense? that you found interesting and you would like to recommend to, to the audience? Um, Alan MacArthur Foundation has at least two podcasts about circular construction. There is one called Building a Circular Future that talks about why we are still demolishing buildings when we can design for deconstruction. I guess it's a good recommendation to hear a little bit more about circular construction. I would also like to recommend, it's not very recent, but I, I guess it, it's a, a reference, at least to me, the Building as Materials Banks project, uh, where you can learn many topics about circular construction. Yes, that's a very interesting project. It was funded, I think, by H2020. They have a nice website with many reports. <laughs> and Danielle, do you also have a recommendation? Yeah, um, so it's a book I've read and um, it's called The Handbook to Building a Circular Economy by David Cheshire. And it's just got some really nice little case studies, to be honest, of buildings that have been designed how we've been speaking about and how to reduce waste and, and some kind of the key strategies. But I think it's a really nice way to, it sums it all up in quite an easy, easy, accessible way. That's a great recommendation. Thank you, Danielle. Well, and thank you to both of you for joining today. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I hope that everybody else also will. I would like to invite you to join us also for our next podcast, where we will talk about metrics for circular construction. We will talk to Rolf André Bone and Eire Gresch from the Norwegian Institute for Science and Technology. I hope you have a good day and see you next time. This episode was written, researched, produced and edited by Ossian Sanglar and Verena Guzwein. The podcast series is part of a circular ECOBIM project funded by EEA Grants Portugal within the Environmental Program. The project is developed by three drivers, Instituto Superior Técnico, Central BIM, Vic Properties and the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Thank you.